You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Shout out to our producers, Tom Bauer and Joe Leo, for the patriotic melodies on this 4th of July weekend. Hope everyone is enjoying. And thanks for joining us here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Yanks and Cardinals get going a little more than an hour from now in St. Louis. Yankees, I'd say they hit rock bottom two weeks ago on Sunday night when they were swept by the Red Sox in Fenway Park. Since then, if they win today, they will have won four consecutive series. They took two out of three at home from the Mariners, and then they took two out of three at home last weekend against the Rangers. They went to Oakland and took two out of three, and they have split the first two games, both games of yesterday's doubleheader in St. Louis against the Cardinals. So you have Garrett Cole on the mound against Jordan Montgomery. Uh, no Rizzo today in the lineup for the Yankees. The lefty getting the day off against the left-handed pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. You have DJ LeMahieu leading off at third. Glaber Torres at second. Stanton is the DH today. Harrison Bader is the cleanup hitter in center. IKF in right field batting fifth. Anthony Volpe up to sixth in the lineup. Deservedly so. He's on a tear right now. He's at shortstop, of course. Jake Bowers at first base. Jose Trevino behind the plate and Oswaldo Cabrera in left field for Garrett Cole, and that's a 2.15 first pitch. Cole 8-1, 2.780 ERA. Montgomery's numbers are good. He's a good pitcher. He always has been when healthy. He's 5-7 and seven on a bad team, but he's got a 3.52 earned run average. So the Yankees, again, if they win that game today, they will be 12-12 12 and 12 without Aaron Judge since he hurt his toe in Dodger Stadium last month. All right, let's go back to the phones, talk more about the Knicks and their offseason. 1-800-919-3776. We'll go to our friend Jose in Brooklyn. Jose, how you doing? Hey, good afternoon, Mr. O'Keefe. Uh, long time haven't spoken. Uh, shout out to the company. And just wanted to put, um, chime in on the Knicks point. I do think that they did get better from the totality. You know, you give up OB Toppin. It frees up a little bit of cap space where you can be able to sign either Chenzo. You get... Two pick, you get two second round picks. I, you know, I thought they could have gotten a little more, but hey, it, it, it is the NBA, and with you know, like what Stephen A. said earlier, they haven't really started OB to really match, or you know, gave OB the minutes to actually maximize his value. So you know, the Knicks did put themselves in that pickle, um, and the issue, and I also love the idea of Pascal Siakam. And that's kind of the issue with, you know, Julius Randle and the catch-22 that we're in. Because when we start to look for improvements, he's the only, Siakam is the only piece that I can see is an upgrade for Julius Randle at that four spot. Because everybody else is either a question mark or injury prone or may not give you the production that Julius Randle gives. And I don't know what Toronto is willing to take other than, you know, because I don't think, you know, Randle and Fournier and a couple of picks are just going to get that done. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm hoping that the year plays out well for, you know, the Knicks, and hopefully they can, you know, be as competitive as they were last year. Jose, thanks for the call. If they were to make that trade, I would prefer Randall to be, you know, the quote-unquote centerpiece of that trade. And and if Randall's the centerpiece, let's be honest, the picks are going to be the centerpiece. If I'm if I'm Toronto, and this is even I don't you know I know R.J. Barrett's from there, but this isn't even has anything to do with this. 
it, w- it would help. It would be a nice bonus. But if I'm Toronto, I- I'd rather R.J. Barrett as the centerpiece of a trade plus picks. You you would need, whether it's Randall or Barrett, you would need another one of the, at least another one of the young players. Quickly, Grimes, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, if it's Randall instead of Barrett in the trade with a young player, with Fournier to get his salary off the books for the Knicks and send him out as an expiring contract. You know, getting rid of Randall will require, I think, you giving away more draft compensation than getting rid of Barrett. I think because of the age of Barrett, I think because of the contract of Barrett compared to the contract of Julius Randall, I think Barrett is a more valuable commodity right now than Julius Randall. Um, Yeah, Siakam is one of the... He's the obvious upgrade at the power forward position over Randall, but there's other... There's other upgrades at other positions in the NBA. For example, at the center position. And I'm talking about the center who's in Philadelphia right now. And that's the interesting thing that you have to keep an eye on with this James Harden trade. Now, earlier this week, when Harden opted into his contract, which you never know what this guy's going to do. God. He opted into his $35 million contract player option with the 76ers that everybody just assumed he was going to opt out of and go for a long-term extension either with Philadelphia or go back to Houston but he opts him and then demands a trade and I believe if my math is correct let's see Houston two years ago the Nets now in Philadelphia yep that's three years in a row with three different franchises that James Harden has now requested a trade and the two teams that were immediately reported to be kicking the tires and poking around James Harden in a potential trade with Philadelphia were the Clippers and the Knicks and let me be the 573rd person to go on record and say the worst thing the Knicks can do is add James Harden to their foundation right now. That's literally the worst thing they can do because I just spent the last 20 minutes describing where the Knicks are as a franchise. And where the Knicks are as a franchise is they're a regular season team. And they are led in part by a regular season player in Julius Randle. And they're at the point now where the upgrades needed for the Knicks are to make them a better team in the postseason. And you're going to bring in, at 34 years of age, a guy who statistically is one of the worst postseason performers in NBA history relative to his production during the regular season. James Harden essentially is a better, older Julius Randle at a different position. But what are the knocks on Randall? He's ball dominant and he dribbles too much and his production dips in the postseason. But at least he has those two knocks against him at the age of 29 years old. The exact same things can be said about James Harden, but he's 34 years old. And while I have said that I have seen enough of a sample size of Randall in the postseason to know that I don't think he's the answer long-term for the Knicks in a postseason spot in that prominent of a role on this team based on the three playoff series I've seen him play so far. Think about all of the years and all of the series of evidence we have that James Harden is not that guy. So Harden as a trade candidate to come to the Knicks, I think you can't find a worse idea. Now, ESPN... NBA reporters Tim McMahon and Brian Windhorst on Windhorst's Hoop Collective podcast debated that potential trade. 
I think Harden to the Knicks would be a poor fit, a bad idea, and the subject of intense internal debate before it happened. I don't think you can rule the Knicks out. I know that it doesn't look and make as much sense. I don't think you can rule them out. No, I'm not saying rule them out. I just don't think it would be wise. And I think that uh, I think it's something that I don't believe there would be a consensus within the Knicks. Well, think about where the Knicks are. The Knicks were fifth place team last year. They did beat the fourth place team. Philadelphia in front of them is now shaking a little bit. We'll see where they're at on the other side of this. They could end up on the other side of this and being in good shape. Here's the thing with James Harden. He will likely get traded. The Knicks don't want to be the team that trades for James Harden because doing that would actually be in opposition to how Leon Rose has conducted himself as this team president so far. It's been three and a half years since he's taken over the franchise. And I think a word to describe Leon Rose's presidency would be patience. And he has shown patience. He's probably shown more patience than a lot of Knicks fans would like to see, evidenced mostly by the non-trade last offseason for Donovan Mitchell. It was there for the taking all offseason long. Rose didn't want to give up what Utah was asking for. And then they sent Mitchell to Cleveland. And for a while, that looked like the Knicks had really missed out on an opportunity. And the book is not written or closed on that trade. But so far, one year in, it would appear that Leon Rose made the proper decision in holding his treasure trove of assets for another potential trade down the road. Somebody better. Somebody a better fit. And Cleveland showed last year, and specifically Donovan Mitchell showed last year with Cleveland, he's not, you know, the missing piece to bring a team on a long playoff run. I mean, Donovan Mitchell joined a Cavaliers team that had an all-star point guard in Darius Garland. It had an all-star center in Jared Allen. And it had a young, up-and-coming power forward in Evan Mobley. And then you add Donovan Mitchell to that mix, and they couldn't even get out of the first round. They lost in five games in the first round to the Knicks. So really, how far was Donovan Mitchell going to take the Knicks? So who are the potential big fish? Well, if James Harden gets traded to the Clippers or to the Trailblazers or to whomever, if James Harden now leaves Philadelphia, it is hard to imagine that an exchange... Look, Harden's 34, and his value is... I, I know he led the NBA in assists last year. He's clearly a Hall of Famer. He's a top 75 player. He's a former MVP. All of those are accolades and accomplishments that he has had in the past. This past offseason, again, more bad than good in the playoffs for what they needed from him. So if Harden leaves Philadelphia in a trade, it's hard to imagine they're going to get a star on his level to come back in a trade. So what would that mean? That would mean a trade of Harden would bring back young players, draft picks, value to build the future of the 76ers. Okay, that's great. That's a business model that a lot of teams have employed. Recently, the New Orleans Pelicans have done that. The Utah Jazz have done that. Um, several teams have done that recently. But if Philadelphia does that, they have the NBA's most valuable player on their team. How's that going to go over if you trade Harden and you bring back nobody who can help you make a deep playoff run? Well, that essentially will end Joel Embiid's tenure in Philadelphia. 
and that would be it. Just like we just saw in Portland, okay? The final straw for Damian Lillard. And let me do a quick aside here. All of the praise that has been heaped on Damian Lillard throughout his career for being a loyal soldier in Portland and being all about the city and being this consummate leader, it's, it's out the window for me now. He requested a trade. Once you do that, you can't then continue to be praised as a lover of this city, of this small market, and a leader. Okay? That's out the window for me. But the last straw for him was Portland with this asset, the number three pick in the draft. They could have packaged it with Anthony Simons and brought in an all-star player to help Portland this year and have him team with Lillard and make one more run. They chose to bet on their future with Scoot Henderson and build the team around him, and that was it for Lillard. The other day, he put his foot down. He said, I want to be traded. For the first time, he officially requested a trade. All right? If that happens in Philadelphia, where they trade James Harden and they bring back draft capital or future assets or young players to be developed, that's the end of Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. And on the top of the list of potential landing spots for Joel Embiid is Madison Square Garden, the New York Knicks, and his former agent, Leon Rose. So that's why this James Harden situation is so important to monitor for Knicks fans. Now, you don't want Harden on your team. You don't want him in orange and blue. Don't want to touch him with a 10-foot pole if I'm the Knicks. But you can bet your rear end that the Knicks want James Harden to be traded and traded for future capital. And he they, they want Philadelphia to be in position where Joel Embiid forces their hand. And that's... That's where you cash in the assets. Not on Donovan Mitchell. Not on Carl Anthony Towns. Nice players. All-star players. Not on Damian Lillard. Lillard's a great player. He's not a nice player. He's a great player. But Lillard doesn't make sense in New York because of the pairing in the backcourt with Jalen Brunson. You have Brunson at 6'2". You have Lillard at 6'2". They both need the ball in their hands a lot. Now, that part I think they could figure out. But who are they guarding on defense? You can't put those two guys in the backcourt together. That's why Lillard, unfortunately, doesn't make sense for the Knicks. If he were 6'6", or if Jalen Brunson were 6'6", then I would feel differently about it. So all of these picks, and whoever the caller was that said the Knicks aren't going to make those picks, most of them, he's absolutely right. All right, They're waiting to cash them in at the right time. They didn't feel Mitchell was the right time. I don't. I think deep in their hearts, and at least I hope they do because I don't feel this way, I feel that Carl Anthony Towns isn't the right player to bring in. Damian Lillard, for the reasons I just mentioned, isn't the right player to bring in. Joel Embiid is the right player. And how about that for an upgrade? For the caller who said, oh, you can't, the only upgrade over Julius Randle at the power forward position is Pascal Siakam. Sure. How about an upgrade at the center position? <laughs> in the form of Joel Embiid to pair with Jalen Brunson. Give them all the picks. Quickly and Mitchell Robinson as well. Probably more. That's what the Knicks fans need to monitor. That's why this James Harden development last year has huge impact on the Knicks offseason without Harden hopefully coming to New York, which I don't think he will. I think it was reported by Woj, and when Woj reports something, and Windhorse always seems to know things too. The only reason I can't get on board with the Knicks being uh, in pursuit or a suitor for James Harden is because they haven't operated that way in this regime. 
past regimes have. Look, and we don't even need to mention the Knicks presidents or general managers over the past two decades that would have brought in a 34-year-old James Harden right now. But Leon Rose has not operated that way. And I don't think at this point for this player, he's going to reverse course and pull off a trade for James Harden. But I do think, and maybe he's trying to force the hand of another team for them to pull off a trade for James Harden, because I think a trade of Harden out of Philadelphia, I think it gives the Knicks a pretty good shot at landing the star player that we've been waiting for in New York. Whew. I'm going to go back beyond Carmelo Anthony for that one in Joel Embiid. Pat O'Keefe on 4th of July weekend, 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe with you on this 4th of July weekend, Sunday afternoon, getting ready for an important day for the Yankees and the Mets. A week from today is the final day before the All-Star break. So what kind of position will both of the New York baseball teams be in by then? Yanks have done a good job holding the fort without Aaron Judge. Today he will miss his 24th consecutive game. They are 11-12 and 12 during this stint without him. And the Yanks are 46-37 and 37 overall, taking on the Cardinals in St. Louis. The Mets are the exact opposite, 37-46. and 46. Not completely out of it, but they better start getting hot soon. Otherwise, time will run out on this season that had so many expectations. And speaking of expectations, what should the expectations for the Knicks be this offseason after their surprising run to the second round of the NBA playoffs? That's what we're talking about largely this afternoon as we head back to the phones and bring in Buddha in the Bronx. Buddha, what's going on, man? Hey, Pat. Nice to hear you on the radio, man. Always enjoy your perspective, man. It's been a minute since we had a chance to chat. Appreciate it, Buddha. All right, listen, now, that being said, uh, <laughs> you know, Pat, I got a Kia Telluride, and I got a Subaru Forester. Uh, I have the same chance of trading them in for that new Hummer with the parallel wheels that the Knicks do for getting uh, Siakam with a deal that includes Julius Randle. I mean, there's no market for him in the NBA. Part of it's his fault with his behavior and his stubbornness, but also part of it is Thibodeau's fault. You know, he doesn't hold him accountable as he does with some of the other players. And, you know, the ball, when it goes to him, is he's a black hole and he's a first and a third quarter player. He's not a fourth quarter player, and we know he's not a playoff performer. So, you know, I, I don't see them doing that deal in any way. I'm not saying you can't get Siakam. With, I, I, I think like the caller said, I don't think you have to give as much as the guy said, but I, I would think R.J. Barrett would have to be included in that mix. But there's more of an issue for me with the Knicks than just Julius Randle. And, you know, I, I don't mean to bang on the coach. Uh, he's done a good job here of getting the team to be, you know, a respectable team. But the question I have is, no matter which players that you acquire, what offense are the Knicks going to run? I mean, that iso ball stuff is dead in the NBA. The, the league changed the rules. You know, Thibodeau is a relic. He's going back to the 90s of that Knicks team where the NBA changed the rules because people across the country didn't like the way the Knicks played. So, you know, if you're going to bring in different players, right, you're going to bring in more talent. The offense has to evolve. And for that to evolve, honestly, you know, what I would think they would do is, I don't know if they would have to nudge him or, or, or discuss with him. I'm talking about the Knicks administration. He's got to put offensive specialists on that team to teach that team how to play offense. He teaches them how to play defense well. But the offense has to evolve. And in, in reality, that person, 
would get if the offense evolves to a point where, you know, it's a very, you know, good functioning offense, that's probably going to be his successor to the position that he holds. Booty, you make a lot of good points, my friend. Um, I think at this point in his career, for me, it's hard to envision Tom Thibodeau dramatically changing course on the way he coaches offense or defense. Tom Thibodeau, over the course of his career, mostly in Chicago, a brief time in Minnesota when he brought them to the playoffs, and these last three years in New York, he wins because his teams focus on defense, he leans towards defensive-minded players, and he demands, more than most coaches, maximum effort on defense. And Buddha's right. That's where the focus is from the coaching standpoint, and it always has been. And he was brought up, like Buddha said, in the 90s under Jeff Van Gundy as an assistant with the Knicks, and that's how those Knicks teams won. And then when he went to Boston in 2008, as the lead assistant to Doc Rivers, Doc handled the he, Doc was the CEO and he handled the offense. Tom Thibodeau coached the defense, and that was a superb defensive team led by one of the best defensive players of all time in Kevin Garnett. Also, a team that played extremely hard because Kevin Garnett was one of the hardest playing stars in the history of the NBA. And then he made his bones in Chicago with defensive minded players like Luol Deng and Joakim Noah. Uh, foremost, and then eventually developing Jimmy Butler into that type of player. And in Chicago, the reason why they had so much success before Derrick Rose's injury was that they had a superb offensive star in Derrick Rose. But Rose was a similar player. I'm not saying the same level of player, but Rose back then was a similar player to what you see from Jalen Brunson right now. Not a lot of offensive creativity, but he was just an a leader on offense and a shot creator and a shot maker for those Bulls teams. And that's how he became the youngest MVP in the history of the NBA. And that's largely what Tom Thibodeau relies on with Jalen Brunson. Here's the question. And look, Buddha's a good caller and he knows what he's talking about. And he raises a lot of good points and I'm not really disagreeing with any of them. But the one thing I'll say is who are you bringing in right now? That's going to be better. Like I said, in the first hour of the show, the man is not perfect. He's not a perfect head coach. Nobody is. But what he is is he's better than every single head coach you have had since Jeff Van Gundy. There's no question about it. You know, Mike Woodson wasn't here for that long, and he was very reliant on Carmelo Anthony, and they had that one great 54-win year where everything came together. Uh, Tyson Chandler anchoring the defense and protecting the rim. J.R. Smith had the best season of his career as the sixth man of the year. Carmelo Anthony led the NBA in scoring. They had leadership at the point guard position. Veterans like Pablo Prigioni and Jason Kidd and Raymond Felton. Uh, they had three-point shooting with J.R. Smith and Steve Novak. I mean, everything came to year together in that one year. And Woodson had a lot of success here. So I don't want to discount what he did. But when I say that Tom Thibodeau is the best coach that this franchise has had since Jeff Van Gundy left in 2001, I mean it. I really do. Uh, and that's no disrespect to the short tenure that Mike Woodson had here. So what are you going to do? You're going to jettison this guy after three years and making the playoffs twice? And what's the guarantee that you're going to bring in somebody who's better? All right, so, yeah, you bring in an offensive-minded coach. So maybe the offense is more fluid and structured than what we've seen. But what happens to the defense? Can you promise me that, the defense and the effort are going to be kept at the same level that they have been under Tom Thibodeau. 
That's why this is so hard. That's why not everybody gets to run an NBA team or coach an NBA team because these are all the difficult decisions that need to be made this offseason. Is Tom Thibodeau perfect? No. Is he the right guy for this job right now? Yeah, he is, in my opinion. In my firm opinion, he is. Now, what to do with the roster? That's the question we're talking about right now, and some thoughts on that as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, I just want to run through this exercise because I made this point earlier and I teased ahead to it. So let's do this now real quick. The importance of drafting well in the NBA. And I know we're talking about potential trades and who you can fit in under the cap on the free agent market. But none of those things become as those are those are last ditch efforts for teams to improve their roster. All right. And I know this is kind of cliche to say, and, and a lot of you are probably sitting here listening to this like, yeah, duh, we, we know that it all starts with drafting. But just to hammer the point home, who are the top teams in the NBA? The teams that have gone and won NBA championships in recent years and gone to the finals and gone to conference finals. All of them, all of them have drafted, almost all of them have drafted extremely well. Almost all of them, the foundation is – there's not a single team that's entirely homegrown draft picks, right? You have to build with free agents and tinker with a trade here or there, okay, like the Boston Celtics have in recent years, like the Phoenix Suns have in recent years. But at the root of building a successful franchise is how well you handle the draft because that's the only area in which you don't have to give up anything. It's already predetermined how much you have to give up for a player. All right. It's the slotting system for how much NBA rookies, you know, if you're the first pick, you get a certain amount of money in salary for your first four years. If you're the second pick, it goes down a little third pick. It goes down a little and so on and so forth. And it's not anywhere close to the amount of money that we've seen thrown around this week uh, on the likes of Jeremy Grant or Desmond Bain. So the Denver Nuggets, the NBA champions, drafted Jamal Murray seventh overall, seventh overall. And Nikola Jokic, 41st overall, which will go down as the greatest single draft pick in terms of value in the history of the NBA. They drafted Michael Porter Jr. with the 14th overall pick. Now, why were they able to pick Michael Porter Jr. and take a chance on him? Remember, in 2018, there were a lot of Knicks fans that wanted the Knicks to take a chance on him because he's a guy who, if he didn't have a back injury, probably would have been a top three pick in that draft. But there were a lot of health concerns about him. But Denver, because they had already drafted well with Jokic and Jamal Murray, could take a swing at Michael Porter Jr., and that has paid off. And then you had Christian Brown, a rookie this past year out of Kansas, was drafted 21st overall. Those are four of the eight players who were in the rotation for the NBA champions. All right, let's move on. The team that they beat, the Miami Heat. And yes, I know they got Jimmy Butler in a trade, but... The Heat have always seemed to be good. And the Heat have the added layer of this player development of undrafted players, several of whom have left the organization this week. Max Struess is one of them, but he's gone. Gabe Vincent is one of them, but he's gone. Duncan Robinson was an undrafted player, and he played an important role in the playoffs. But Miami gets Bam Adebayo, who 
look, Jimmy Butler is in his own class, obviously. But Bam Adebayo is very close to Jimmy Butler in terms of importance to that team because of his interior presence. And they got him with the 14th pick. That means he was there for the taking. And then the next year they turn around and they get Tyler Hero, who I know wasn't a part of their postseason run this year because of the hand injury, but he's a borderline all-star. He's a 20-point-per-game scorer, and they picked him with the 13th overall pick. How about last year's NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors? Maybe the greatest example of setting up a dynasty through the draft and not high, you know, first and second overall draft picks. Not when you pick Stephen Curry seventh overall, and then two years later you get Klay Thompson with the 11th overall pick, and then a year after that you get Draymond Green in the second round with the 35th overall pick, and then you get Kavon Looney with the 30th overall pick. That is four of the five starters from last year's championship team drafted by the organization, none of them before number seven, and only two of them before number 30. The team they beat in the finals last year, the Boston Celtics. They picked Jason Tatum with the third overall pick. Remember, Boston had the first pick that year when the Nets won the lottery but had to hand their pick over to the Celtics because of the Kevin Garnett trade. Boston was in position to draft number one. They traded back with the 76ers to number three, knowing that they wanted Jason Tatum anyway, but knowing that Philadelphia would pick Markel Fultz at number one and the Lakers wanted to get Lonzo Ball at number two. So they still got who they deemed to be the best player in the draft, Jason Tatum, and he has been the best player in that draft, plus an additional asset. The year before that, when it was unclear in a two-person draft in 2016, it was unclear who the third pick overall was going to be, and they picked Jalen Brown, who was kind of unknown after playing one year at Cal. That has worked out tremendously. They picked Marcus Smart with the sixth overall pick. They picked Robert Williams the third with the 27th overall pick. Grant Williams, an important player off their bench, they picked 20th overall. Continue to go down the line with the top teams in the NBA. All right, Milwaukee doesn't have a ton of players on their roster who they drafted, but the most important player was drafted at number 15. They were the team that took a chance on the skinny kid from Greece that not a lot of people knew about, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, the 15th overall pick, became a two-time MVP and one of the greatest players in league history. The 76ers, Joel Embiid, with his injury red flags and having to sit out his first two years in the NBA, they picked him at number three. And then they picked Tyrese Maxey, who is trending towards an all-star level player in the backcourt at number 21. And then the Phoenix Suns. Now, the Suns have been one of the best teams in the NBA in the last three years, but they've been very confounding, right? Two years ago, they go to the finals and lose. Last year, best record in the NBA, flame out in the second round against the Mavericks. And then this year, they take the big swing on the Kevin Durant trade. It didn't work out immediately, but the book has not been written yet or finished on this era of Suns basketball. But everything for Phoenix, you could trace back to one draft pick. And it was getting Devin Booker, maybe the best pure two-guard in the NBA, with the 13th overall pick. And once you hit the lottery like that, and then a couple years later, they earned the number one pick, and they took DeAndre Ayton, who, much maligned, yes, is still a top-10 center in the NBA. And then when you have a guy like Booker to anchor your team, it is very easy to fill in around him. Which brings me to the Knicks. Which brings me to the Knicks. And now we're 
fielding call after call after call about what the Knicks are going to have to give up in a trade for a Pascal Siakam or for a Joel Embiid. And how many years did we spend before Jalen Brunson got here last year trying to figure out what it would take to get a actual bona fide NBA star point guard to this franchise. We spoke about that for 20 years before it finally happened last year, and Jalen Brunson kind of fell in our laps. But this is where the draft is so important. Three out of four years, and we'll start with the 2017 draft, and the Knicks picked Frank Nielakina eighth overall. Okay? Donovan Mitchell went 13th to Utah. Bam Adebayo went 14th to Miami. The very next year, the Knicks selected Kevin Knox, ninth overall. The two next picks, number 10 was Mikhail Bridges. Number 11 was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. 2019, it was straightforward for the Knicks. They had the third pick. Zion went first. Ja went second. R.J. Barrett was the clear-cut number three pick. He has not been a disappointment. 2020. And look, this is a big part of our conversation today because it's about Obi Toppin having been traded for two second-round picks. The Knicks selected Obi Toppin at number eight. At number 12 was Obi Toppin's now teammate, Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine, and I understand you're not going to hit on that every single year, but imagine if the Knicks made the right decision in two of those three years. Imagine how much better of a position they would be in right now then you wouldn't have to overpay for a superstar who has question marks. And that's the other part of this equation. Every single name that we've mentioned, there's no surefire slam dunk guy that you can bring in, including Joel Embiid. There's no one name that you can bring in that says, well, he's here, the Knicks are the favorites to win the championship. No, there are names that will get you closer to being a favorite to win the championship or a contender to win the championship. But there's no one that makes you the favorite. Joel Embiid's hurt all the time. I know he had his best season this year. He was the MVP. But when he got to the playoffs against the Nets, he was injured, and he wasn't healthy the rest of the way. And he has still not advanced as far as the Eastern Conference Finals in his career. You know, James Harden, we already know all the red flags about him. Star-level player, yes, but you don't want to touch him. Pascal Siakam's got one year left on his contract. Um, He has had run-ins with the head coach and the administration in Toronto before. He's not a perfect player. He's not a pure outside shooter. Do I think he's an upgrade over Julius Randle? Yes, I do. But he's not a short. He doesn't make you the favorite to win the Eastern Conference if you bring him in. I think he makes your team better depending on what you would have to give up. My point is you're going to have to move hell and high water to bring in somebody who has flaws or who has red flags. And it sounds simple. As simple can be, but so much of that can be avoided by drafting well in the first place. Boston is able to add guys like Kristaps Porzingis and Malcolm Brogdon um, around the margins. Derek White, guys that help lead them to conference finals and NBA finals. But the reason they're able to add those guys around the margins is because they drafted their two anchor pieces in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Same thing with Denver. They drafted Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. So it's a lot easier to be attractive to a Bruce Brown or a Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Guys who can help push you over the edge to become a championship team. Same thing with Milwaukee. They had Giannis in place. 
They developed, even though they didn't draft him, they developed Chris Middleton, and then they pulled the trigger on the Drew Holiday deal. They bring in Brooke Lopez, and next thing you know, you're an NBA champion. In each of those situations, it all started with the NBA draft. Now, the Knicks have made some good draft picks in this era, and for the most part, this administration of Leon Rose has been very solid in the draft. They've gotten some gems in spots where you don't normally find rotation players or starters. But the one name that we're talking about today, Obi Toppin, is unfortunately the one bad draft pick that they have made since they were here. And it's not all Obi's fault, but that could change so much as you're trying to build your franchise, which the Knicks are in the process of doing right now. We'll get back to the phones when we come back on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Just draft well, right? So much easier said than done. That'll solve all your problems. Just draft well. Okay, no problem. The ones that hurt were 2017 and 2018 because the Knicks had two swings. Uh, you know, they could have picked Mitchell or Bam Adebayo. Instead, they go with Frank Nielakina. In 2018, they could have gone with Mikhail Bridges or Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Instead, they went with Kevin Knox. I mean, those two really hurt. Obi wasn't ever given a real full shot here in New York. And I do think that among Toppin and Knox and Nielakina, well, I was going to say I think Obi will be the best NBA player. i got to be honest with you, I think Obi's already been the best NBA player when you compare what he's done in the NBA to what Nielakina or Kevin Knox have done. But, look, that's why you have – uh, organizations that are more successful than others. The Knicks, especially Leon Rose, have hit on some picks. Getting Emmanuel quickly with the 25th overall pick was fantastic. And then the next year to do it again in the exact same spot with Quinton Grimes was great. In this day and age of the NBA, where so you know, it used to be you were a first-round pick, you're probably like a five-year starter because you come in seasoned, you played three or four years of college basketball. That was a generation, a generation and a half ago. Now it's such a crapshoot that if you're picked in the first round, there's like a 40% chance that you don't even last in the NBA more than three years, and no one even bats an eyelash at that anymore. So to get in back-to-back years at the 25th overall pick, quickly and Quentin Grimes, not to mention the same year as Grimes, to pick Deuce McBride, a fringe rotation player, who has a very strong skill set on the defensive end with the 36th overall pick. Those are three outstanding selections that were made by Leon Rose and World Wide West and the since-departed Scott Perry. Two other notable picks to help build this roster, R.J. Barrett at number three. He is a cornerstone player. And Mitchell Robinson at number 18, made by Scott Perry. And Steve Mills was in charge back then. That, of all those picks, has been the best one. Mitchell Robinson at 36, the value that you got from him considering where you picked him. So the drafting is getting better for the Knicks, but it's really hard to get past back-to-back years, 2017 and 2018. And 2017 was Phil Jackson, and 2018 was Steve Mills and Scott Perry. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Mike in Brooklyn has been patiently waiting. Mike, what's going on? What's going on? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm like I said, I'm a big Knicks fan. I've been a Knicks fan my whole life. The one thing that we as Knicks fans have to be is patient. We got the right management up in there. Finally, we don't got people trying to make these out of the, out of the, out of the market hits like Nick Nilakina. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. Phil Jackson, he hit gold with Porzingis. He tried to be the smartest guy in the room again, and he got Nilakina. 
finally we got people that's making the right moves and we have to just be patient. That's it. We got to, you know, and once we have all our pieces, then we decide on the coach. But Thibodeau ain't doing nothing wrong to kick him out right now. That's it. I agree with that. Thibodeau's the answer. Uh, He's done nothing, Mike, thanks for the call, to not be the head coach of this team. Now, could that tune change in a year? Yeah. You want to see continued development and continued progress. The stakes are higher now, right? It used to be a little easier for the Knicks head coach to come in. Think about how easy it was for Tom Thibodeau his first year. He was replacing two years, not even two full years of David Fisdale, which was an absolute abomination. So, and that was a 72-game season instead of an 82-game season. So, let's just say the Knicks went 31-41 and 41 that year under Tibbs. I think people would have been throwing parties for Tom Thibodeau if they went 31-41. and 41. But he came in and went 41-31. and 31. That's how bad it had been. For a while, it wasn't the worst landing spot to come in as a Knicks head coach if you could bring with you some sort of competency. But unfortunately, from Derek Fisher to Jeff Hornacek, to David Fisdale, we didn't get that in any of those situations. And that was a really dark period for this franchise. And now Tom Thibodeau, because of his own talents and skills as an NBA head coach, has raised the bar. Now, ultimately, that will probably come back to bite him because now the expectations aren't, you know, finish 10 games above 500 and make the playoffs or make the second round of the playoffs. The expectations have been raised because of his performance, but that's the nature of the business. That's why uh, it's a very competitive field, and people that are doing the jobs of Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose are very, very well compensated because it's a high-risk, high-reward business, and you could be out of a job a year after taking a team to the playoffs in the second round for the first time in a decade, or you could turn into one of the all-time great figures in the history of this franchise. Um, I don't think we're going to find the answers to those questions this offseason, but you want the groundwork to continue to be laid for this organization to keep moving in that direction.